Okay, good morning to all of you, and uh, well, it's good to be back again, and I uh, hope that uh, you are all well and, and safe. Okay, we're going to continue this morning with our study on the characteristics of agape love, uh, which we have started uh, a few weeks ago, that if you remember, that today is part 2C. I call it part 2C because it, uh, the, the part 2 focuses on the characteristics as Paul has actually dis uh, erased it in First Corinthians chapter 13. On, on the characteristics of agape love. So in part 2a of our series, which was the first of part 2, if you, if you remember that we have looked at the characteristics of agape love itself. Uh, what uh, in, uh, I mean basically, there are, sorry, apart, uh, one of the characteristics, the first characteristic was uh, patience. So uh, we, we, have, we have seen that, uh, and in part 2b of our series, we have seen basically that uh, how God, God has demanded for us to repent now, now, uh, you know that the, the the immediate repentance that God demands when, through His patience can be obeyed immediately. We we, we have seen that, and also that I I, I thought I want to share with you as well that as what many has raised uh, in his in his in his uh, sermon last week, uh, from Genesis four to help us un understand why that the, you know that God's expectation of us to repent now it is is possible because of what God said to Cain in Genesis four verses six to seven, where God said this to Cain he said that why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not do well sin lies at the door and its desire is for you but notice what the Lord said to Cain here at the end he says but you should rule over it so this is very interesting isn't it that, that uh, you know, the Lord is saying that well uh, to Cain that well you can overrule the desires of sin for you. That means that it is something that can be done. But this is not only just Old Testament teaching because that uh, Paul talks about this as well, uh, which, we, which we can see basically, uh, you know, that, uh, that the, the, the New Testament teaches the same principle that uh, sin should not be our boss. It should be the other way around. You know, that's the sad fact is that I think a, a lot of people let sin reign or rule over them. And Paul pointed this out, uh, that this should not be the case for the Christian. You know, after we have been baptized in the Christ and put on Christ, that Paul says in Romans 6, verse 12, he said that therefore, this is as a result of the fact that we have been saved through baptism, but Paul said, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. So it is because of the fact that we are now slaves of Christ and not of sin. That's why that God now demands that we immediately change our minds and purpose over our sins. That is the, you know, that is what the kick starts repentance, which we have seen in, uh, in part two B of the of the, of the lesson. And, and we should not be, con we should not allow ourselves to continue to be enslaved by sin. Why? Because that Christ is now our Lord and Master, not sin. You know, so yes, we, the the change of mind and purpose over our sins is demanded by God. That it, this can be, this can take place immediately, but as I said before in the last, the, the previous sermon, was that whatever that will follow from there, you know, uh, in the course of our repentance, yeah, some of things, some of things may take time to undo, you know, especially the consequences, or you know that maybe that there are third parties involved in it that needs time to be, that some of the things need to be undone. God will allow time for that to make for us to make the necessary amendments as we as we continue to show fruits worthy of repentance but the repentance must take place immediately so we have seen that from from a lesson to be i think that's that's a very important lesson that we need to understand 
So today what we're going to go do is to carry on in part 2C of our, of our series of study here, uh, where Paul now turns his attention to the second characteristic of agape love that is also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. That is kindness. Yeah, so we're going to look at kindness today. So on Paul's second characteristic list of agape love, we can see that kindness follows after patience. And if you think about this from the context, the immediate context itself, this follow on from kindness, from, from, from patience to kindness makes a lot of sense. Because why? Because that the one, uh, you know, because the one who has agape patience towards others, like God, for example, towards us, is always kind. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. To be kind uh, is a universally recognized virtue, isn't it? In every society, in every civilization, you know, uh, people, people know what kindness is. Dr. Ray Pritchard said, he said, I quote, it's in your notes there. He, he quoted, he said, Mark Twain called kindness a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. He was absolutely right. Everyone can understand the language of love. It is truly the universal language comprehended by people from every nation, by the rich and the poor, by the old and the young, by both, both male and female. Kindness is a universal language for it does not speak to the intellect but directly to the heart." Unquote. So when we look at this statement itself, what Dr. Pritchard has said here, that uh, I think that it, it, it's very true about kindness. Because everybody knows what kindness means and what kindness looks like. You know, from here that, you know, it seems that there's very little I can say about kindness, isn't it? Because that this is something already known to, to us all. Yes, although that kindness is well known to everyone, I think there's one aspect of kindness uh, that is often overlooked and misunderstood. I thought that I'd like to raise it in this sermon to help us consider this, uh, this, this particular aspect of kindness. You know, as I was working through this sermon, that I was a bit curious about, uh, you know, the dictionary definition of kindness. So I went online to check on the online dictionaries uh, as to how they define kindness. So that was our curiosity, basically. So I, I, what, I, what I found is basically is quite consistently being a you know, uh, uh, explained by the online dictionaries is that to be kind is uh, the, the, the dictionary defines the word kind as an adjective. We know what an adjective is. An adjective is a descriptive word. That means that, you know, like you say, that he's a kind man. So, you know, they use it as an adjective. So, I mean, that to describe a man as being kind. But what, was, what is interesting is that uh, when you turn to the New Testament, as what Paul has said, uh, has used this word kind, in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, Paul did not use the word kind as an adjective, but as a verb. And a verb is an action word. Okay, that means kindness is an action. It's not a description, according to Paul. So which is quite interesting, isn't it? So this, this means that the way that God looks at kindness in, within the context of agape love is that kindness is one of action. It's like patience. You know, again, that Paul also, also is, is the same. So that uh, love is patient. Now, the word patient is is not uh, an adjective; it's a verb as well. So ev every single uh, uh, item that's de defined in 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 First Corinthians thirteen on love, they are all verbs. Quite is quite interesting. You see, so they are not adjectives but verbs. You know, it, I think when it comes to kindness, uh, is as, as somebody once said. That kindness is Christianity with its working clothes on. I think that this is a very apt description about uh, biblical kindness. It's, it is an action. It is not a description of the Christian. 
is the action of the Christian. So bear in mind this key thought, yeah, is that it's an action. Then I was a bit curious about that. I went to the the, the, talk, the thesaurus. You know what the, the thesaurus basically gives you uh, you know definitions of words which are synonymous means that uh, you know that they 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 gives you other words that describe the said uh, you know a, a word in different ways. Uh, so I look at the word kind for its synonyms, and one of those uh, or one or two of those uh, general descriptions of what uh, from the thesaurus as to what. It means to be kind. Uh, it, the thesaurus described kind also as sweet or nice. You know, uh, nice and sweet. So the, in other words, uh, somebody who is kind is nice. Uh, well, why, why have I raised these synonyms here that you, you might be asking? Why, why did you raise the, the, the synonym, these words, nice and sweet, in connection with kindness? I think that the reason is because of the general tendency for many people, and brethren also in the church included as well, uh, who have actually taken this notion, you know, that when a Christian is kind, he, you know, that he is a nice person, he's a sweet person, and he, he often acts in a very unoffending way. You see? So people connect this, uh, this, this notion of kindness with niceness and sweetness and you know, and, and these are some of the predominant thoughts that that will come to mind. If you ask people, how how would you describe a kind person? I think usually you will find that the, the person will say that he's a nice person, you know, he's very sweet, you know, you know uh, and he's very unoffending. That, that's what it means. So, and according to the Cambridge Online Dictionary, the word nice rather the word nice means pleasant, enjoyable, satisfactory, you know, kind, friendly, and polite. So these are some of the terms that the Dictionary describe someone as nice. What what it means to be nice? If you think about, it, isn't it true, isn't it, that this is the kind of general perception of a kind person is a nice person, somebody who is pleasant, somebody who is friendly, somebody who is polite. This is you know that, that that's why that uh, there are people who sees who see God as such. That God is kind. That he's very nice. You know, like a kindly looking uh, man with with white hair and white beard looking down from heaven to see what kind of nice things that he could do for us to make us feel good, you see. So uh, that God is very nice. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do in your lifetime, you know, he, you know, that he will always receive you into heaven. And this is the kind of general perception of, 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 the, of God, uh, you know, because God is kind. And if it seems he's kind, then he's naturally very nice. So that's how, how it is. But the question is that is agape kindness always nice and sweet like that? Is this the kind of uh, picture that the Bible paints concerning kindness? The reason why I raise this is because that there are brethren in the church, sadly enough, that brethren in the church would think like that. I have personally encountered brethren like that. You know, they, they used to tell me that, you know, Sonny, you're not very kind. Uh, you know, and you're not very kind. In, a, in other words, you're not very nice and pleasant and polite when you tell others the truth. You know, you look how upset they are now with you. You're not very kind to them. You see? That is not a nice thing to do. That is not a sweet thing to do. I mean, the brethren in the past have used to tell me that. Uh, you, and But the point is that it's being nice and sweet towards others always the, you know, always, always kind by biblical definition. Is that how the Bible defines kindness? So I thought that this is very important that we, we understand what it means, what this word means. Yeah. So this is this is the aspect of 
the, 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 the idea of kindness that I'd like to explore today uh, because all of us know what kindness is. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to look at those, those aspects that we all know, uh, which is so well known, but something that is often overlooked. So let's look at the biblical definition of what it means to be kind. Uh, Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the Greek word there, krestuomai, uh, which is translated as kind in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Uh, Dr. Ray Pritchard, again, he, he tells us that this word means something like sweet usefulness. Uh, he, the doctor said that uh, love is quick to help others and eager to reach out to those in need. So that was a very uh, brief definition from Dr. Pritchard. So, and this word, Krestu or my, had come, had, has actually come from a root word. You know, words always come from some other words as it develops. So there is, there, 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 there is a root word that uh, this, this word came from, which is known as Krestos. Krestos. A crestos, a vine's dictionary tells us, vine tells us that this word crestos means primarily signifies fit for use, able to be used, akin to cry o mind to use, uh, which is also another root word, is it? Uh, hence, good, virtuous, mild, mild, pleasant. So that's how vine defines the, 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 the word crestos, which is, can also be translated as kind as well, which is the root word of the, the uh, crestu o mind, as Paul has used it in First Corinthians 13.4. So the commentator boys added, he said that Krestos, if, this is very interesting, he said Krestos is more than gentle and polite. The word, that the word, the word also means useful and serviceable. It has the flavor of action. Remember the verb? Yeah, action and productivity. God shows his kindness to us when he took steps to save us, unquote. So this is how uh, boys define Krestos. It's, it's more than just basically, you know, uh, nice and pleasant. It is action. It is useful. It is serviceable. It is productive. So that, that, is, that is how uh, Boris tells us what, you know, the meaning of Krestos. In fact, Jesus used the same Greek word Krestos uh, in, uh, in Matthew eleven thirty. You know, that you remember that he talks about, he said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. So that's, that's the word that, the word translated as easy came from the word Krestos. So what Jesus meant when he talked about the yoke being easy was that he was saying, basically saying that the yoke that I have designed is a customized yoke. You know, for those farmers that in, in, those, in those days where the oxen were to plow the field, they need this yoke, this wooden frame that, went, that goes across their back, their backs, you know, to, to, hold, to, to, to hold it to the, to the plow so that they can plow the, 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 the soil in, in, in the field. So the, the oxen's yoke, which Jesus and his father, earthly father Joseph would have been uh, regular you know, uh, manufacturers of it uh, or repairers of, of such yokes because they were carpenters. So Jesus was very well versed with yokes. So he said that, well, each, you know, my yoke is easy. In other words, what he was saying is that each yoke that he designs uh, had to be carefully adjusted to, in, to each individual animal so that it fits well or is easy. That's what it means. It fits well or is easy on them. So it will not like gall into the skin or, or the neck of the, of the animal that hurts the animal. You know, you know what it's like when you wear an ill-fitting pair of shoes. As you walk, you get blisters. So you know that it's just, it's just a modern equivalent that, 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 that the shoe that fits well. So the word easy means it fits well. You see? So, so that, that, that is what the word Krestos means. It's well-fitting. It is very useful in that sense. That's what Boris tells us is usefulness. So Krestos, we know Krestu Omai, we have the root word for Krestos, 
and krestos came from another root word called kreomai. Uh, what the, the word basically means is to furnish what is needed. Yeah, so furnish what is needed. It means that it is something that's provided as a necessity. Just so that's what the word means. So that kreomai refers to our gracious attitude, you know, of being helpful to others. That means we furnish something that is helpful to others. So this is very, this is important for us to understand, uh, you know, the, the root word of Christ to which Paul used as kind in 1 Corinthians 13. If you, if you want to understand what Paul meant by kind in 1 Corinthians 13, all we need to do is to trace the root word, and then you can ascertain the meaning itself, you see. And this is how we can, we can find you know, and understand this amazing characteristic uh, of kindness, as Paul defines it as an agape characteristic. What it what it basically has in its in its essence is that uh, you know that Christ to or kindness is a great and helpful uh, word. It helps others. That's what that, that that's what it basically means. You see, so it, it it is a kind of an act. We know it's an act, yeah, an action because it's a verb. So it is an act of customized kindness. The word custom, the idea of customized comes from Jesus himself, Christos. My yoke is easy, is it cut? So and it is benevolent. It is helpful in that sense, and it's fitting for its good purpose, you know. And it makes it useful into its unique circumstances. So it's very very customized. So remember that kindness is a very very customized word, okay, and a customized action. So these are some of the key thoughts we need to bear in mind. So when Paul in First Corinthians thirteen four says that love is kind, what he would have in mind is this that kindness is that action that is gracious, necessary, useful, and productive help that is customized according to individual needs. So I think these are some of the key thoughts that we need to, we need to have in mind, you see. These are some of the key thoughts. Gracious, necessary, useful, productive help customized according to needs. So from the definition itself of the word, we can see that within the context of agape love, kindness does not focus on just being nice and sweet. This is not how the New Testament looks at kindness. It doesn't look at it as being nice and sweet, but it looks at it as an action that provides something that is customized, needful, useful, beneficial. You see, And it is an attitude of willingness to help others to render to others our gracious service for the necessary good of others. And it, it, we, we do so regardless of how people treat us and how they will react to that itself. So kindness is unconditional in that sense as well. You see? And, and you know, let's keep this biblical meaning of kindness in mind. Yeah, it's very important as we, as we continue our study here. So uh, Charles Hodge, the commentator, he said that kindness uh, he defines kindness there. He, he said this, I quote, it's in your notes again. He says that love is not quick to resent evil, but is disposed to do good. You see? So the disposition of kindness is to do good, just as agape love is. I think that this is the reason why that all the characteristics of agape love, love uh, they are all verbs of action, because they are, they are actions that seek the highest good of others, regardless of how they react to it. And kindness is also one of these actions that Paul talks about. You know, it is not a description of the Christian. It is the action of the Christian. And we see the action of, of the, in this word, 
you know, in, in Luke 6, when Jesus talked about this, in Luke 6 concerning God the Father, uh, but in, 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 in his teaching there, there's, uh, we find it in the Sermon on the Mount as well, Luke 6, 35, where Jesus said that, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind. That's the word. Christos. He is kind to, and, to the unthankful and evil. So Jesus say here, well, uh, we are to love our enemies, do good. A verb is an action, you see? Do good to them without expectations of returns or a word of thanks. Because why love has no ulterior motives. Love is genuine sincerity, you see? And this is how love should act. The, the, and, and that no one would do good to an enemy without ulterior motives. If you think about it, if, if somebody you don't really like very much, if, 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 if you have to do something for them, you, you always have an ulterior motive. But Jesus says, no, this is not how God's people should be. We should do good to them, whether they respond in kind or not. That is not the point. You see? Whether they are enemy to us or not, it's not the point. We do good to them. So this is love, agapulus, is very unnatural. Remember in the first lesson we talked about this. You know, it is the it is the attitude of the mind. It is a conquering mindset. You see, because it's unnatural for us to love our enemies and to be kind towards them. But Jesus says no. We we, we must be kind. Why? It's not that just God insisted that we should be kind, but God is kind because God is leading by example. That's what Jesus is saying. That God is kind to who? To the unthankful and evil. God never had any ulterior motives in His kindness. No one naturally liked their enemies. But Jesus says, yes, you may not like your enemies, but you can love them. Love them by looking at how God treats sinners like us. <laughs> we are His enemies, isn't it? We were His enemies before. Our sins provoke God to His wrath and anger. But in spite of this, God's love enabled Him to show us patience by withholding His wrath and his kindness you know by providing us with what is necessary what is helpful and what is useful to each of us in his unique way so in what sense is god kind to the unthankful and evil so matthew 5 tells us that that is in the context of the sermon on the mount that again they're talking about the loving your enemies that jesus said in verse 45 of matthew 5 he said that that you may you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust so here jesus tells us the kindness of god is actually evidenced by how he has provided men's basic needs through the sun and the rain regardless of merits the good the bad and the ugly gets it from god you see so here this is how we can learn of the usefulness and the helpfulness of god's kindness towards us all we know that because we all need the sun and the rain in order for plants to grow so that we can get a harvest and you know provide food for us on the table and water to drink so that we can live. These are the basic necessities of life that God in His kindness provide in the most fitting help and needful way. So this is how you know we, we find this uh, useful illustrations of what it means to be kind. There's another exa great example of uh, such an attitude and action of usefulness in kindness. Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we are so familiar with, but I think that it's worth noting it again, in Luke 10, verses 30 down to 37, where Jesus tells us the parable. He said this in verse 30. He said that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, 
leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at that place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy. Jesus then said, Go and do likewise. See, do, verb, and action in kindness. So in this parable, we know the Samaritans hated the Jews. We know the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. You know, because the Samaritans see them as their natural-born archenemy. We know from our stories before. You know, like the Arabs and the Jews today as well. And they, they, you know, that you know, especially the Arabs. The Arabs hate the Jews uh, generally. Basically, that uh, that's why there's so much problems in the Middle East with Israel at the moment. But that's besides the point. But that that, that illustrates the kind of uh, natural-born hatred in that sense, as you will call it. Uh, you know, uh, between between the, these two races, the Jew and the Samaritans were the same. And hence, as a result of this kind of hatred between the two races, that uh, no in New Testament times, especially that no self-respecting Samaritan or Jew would actually speak with or even touch or deal or transact with a Samaritan. So that was how much the hatred that they had for each other. But what we have learned from this parable is that in spite of this deeply seeded feeling of hatred, this Samaritan acted Again, it was his action that's, that speaks louder than words here. He acted in kindness towards this badly wounded Jewish man. Why? Because Jesus said that he had compassion at the end of verse 33. He had compassion on this, on this Jewish enemy of his. But for his supposedly friendly neighbor, isn't it? And the Jewish priest and the Levite, they were his brethren. We, we, we see from this parable that this, these two uh, religious men who were his brethren, actually left him on the road to die. Well, the, com com the writer's commentators tells us basically that, that the priest and the Levites may have decided not to interfere with the man just in case, you're talking about just in case, just in case he was dead. You know, for fear that, that they would become ceremonially unclean as if they were to touch the uh, dead body. Uh, this is actually found in the, 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 the Law of Moses in Numbers 19 verse 16 where it says that whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died, or a bone of a man, or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. You see, so the, 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 the interesting point about the reason for this parable, we, we know that, uh, that why Jesus told this parable was because of the discussion between him and the lawyers in the, about the great commandment of loving God and loving one's neighbor. That this is where the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus told this parable to him to explain who the neighbor was. And, and this, the, 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 the great commandment of loving one's neighbor was taken from Leviticus 19, which you are all familiar with, uh, verse 16 and 18, where you, let's, you see the context, it's very interesting to see the context of what this, this great commandment actually meant. Uh, in verse 16 of Leviticus 19, the scripture says this, Moses said that, You shall not go about as a tale-bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor, 
I am the Lord. Okay, notice this. Nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. And in verse 18, it says, uh, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I am the Lord. So notice verse 16. Verse 16 demanded that an Israelite must not take a stand against the life of your neighbor. So what does this mean by take a stand against the life of your neighbor? Uh, commentators, some commentators believe, uh, like Gills, Gills, uh, John Gill, for example, you know, he believed that this principle actually refers, uh, it refers to a point where that an Israelite must not do anything. He must not do anything to endanger the life of his neighbor. But he is duty. But he, as Gill says, is bound to do all he can to preserve the life of his neighbor, when it is by any means in danger. Is it by drowning or by thieves or, or wild beasts? Unquote. So what it means to the to, the, to you know in, in in reference to the this priest and the Levite who passed by, was this you see that by Moses' law, although they did not supposed to touch the dead body, they were also duty bound to at least check on this man to see if he was really dead. Yeah, and if he was dead, okay, then there's not much you can say. But if he wasn't dead, their duty according to this passage here, was to help this poor, uh, you know, this, this poor Jewish brother of theirs. You see? And show mercy. But they have failed to do so. They just walked past. They, he, they were just looking. They didn't do anything else except look and then walk past. So, and as a result, that they have not actually fulfilled the great commandment. So that there's more to it than simply just not touching the dead body. So they failed to to actually to act according in, accordingly in kindness. Furthermore, as we know that uh, you know the priests and the Levite who were teachers of Moses' law, they should know the, the principles of this great commandment. Yet they refused to love their neighbor as them as their as their themselves. You know, and they, they left him without even checking to see if if he was alive, or if he, if he was dead. The least they could have done was basically maybe to go and get somebody to bury the body. They did nothing at all. But for this Samaritan in this parable, we show that we see that he has shown kindness and compassion by doing all that he could, even for his enemy, who was lying badly injured on the road. Well, which probably he knew that uh, if he was the one who was lying there, no decent, or is it called this? I wouldn't call decent. Uh, yeah, no Jewish person passing by would help him. But this, 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 this did not stop him from showing the kindness of God towards his arch enemy. You know, as Proverbs 14 verse 31 says that, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. So the Samaritan honored God had, by showing mercy to the needy, regardless of whether he was enemy or not. So the, the Samaritan's example tells us, you see, that to be kind sometimes, uh, it, it does not necessarily mean that we must always feel. You're talking about feeling, yeah. We we we, we don't have to feel kindly, uh, or or you know have a nice feeling towards others. Why? Because kindness in the agape love context is about our attitude and actions of necess necessary help that serves the best interests of the other. Even though if he was our enemy, even though we may not particularly like them. Or feel nicely about them. Our feelings does not matter. What it matters is the right thing to do, that we do it. 
So brethren, let's, let's get this right about agape love and his kindness especially. Then the way the New Testament has used this word is that kindness is not descriptive. It is not an adjective, but active is a verb. It reflects the Christian's goodwill, the Christian's good nature, and the Christian's customized help rendered to others as they are necessary in their best interests, regardless of who they are and what they have done to us or how they will re react to our kindness. That's what agape love is. See, biblical kindness, can, as I've said, that uh, is found in that root word, is krestos. That is the key word that we focus on. You see, the, the word krestos has been used at least eight times in the New Testament. Let's see how the New Testament apply this word, yeah, uh, according to the inspired writers. Uh, Romans 2 verse 4, Paul writes that he says that, do you, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Paul uses the word goodness twice here. That's the same Greek word, krestos. It refers to God's goodness and kindness towards us, along with His patience and forbearance. As we can see here, there are all these, all these uh, agape characteristics of God are designed to lead us to repentance. And Paul, again in Romans 11, verse 22, says this, Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in His goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. He uses it three times here. Here, Paul contrasted God's kindness with his severity in his judgment. Paul is talking about judgment here. And he said that his kindness on judgment is reserved for those who continue in his goodness. That is, to those who continue to live righteously and live uh, you know, faithfully, while severity on the day of judgment will be on those who fell. That means, in other words, those who have fallen into sin and not turned away from it. So here it shows us that God has a special kindness in his, in his judgment, on the day of judgment. And this kindness will be extended to the penitent and wrath for those who have fallen into sin and refuse to repent. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, that Paul writes that he said, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind, that's the word, to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. So Christians, as Paul said here, are to put away sin and show kindness to one another, be forgiving towards one another, just as God forgives us when we repent of our sins. So this is how kindness is to be extended. You know, you see again that the connection, you know, with sin, repentance, and evil, and goodness, there is there's this connection there's always this connection that we, we find uh, where Christos is used here in, in, in these instances first Peter 2 verses 1 to 5 Peter said this therefore laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accept, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Paul, I mean Peter here, called his readers to put away all their sins, that is to repent of them, he said, and grow up spiritually in Christ by feeding on God's word. And he said that, uh, you know, he added that this spiritual desire to grow 
should be every in every Christian who has tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word gracious is the krestos, that kindness that he's talking about. So it means that what, what Peter meant was that when we come to realize how kind God is towards us, we should be incentivized to change our lives and grow in Him. You see, Peter added, you see, that the part of our spiritual growth process is to become living stones and serve God in Christ with our lives. Offer the spiritual sacrifices that God will accept in Christ Jesus. So from the above uh, six cases here that we have seen of this Greek word there, you know, we, we find uh, that biblical kindness is closely connected to righteous living, godly living, away from sin and wickedness. All these are also re related to repentance, <laughs> which we have found in our study on agape patience. So brethren, no matter how we look at agape love, whether it is patience or kindness, we cannot avoid this observation from the New Testament that they are closely connected to how God looks at sin and his decision to exercise his mind to be patient and kind towards us in order to lead us to repentance. We know that because it's not God's desire that we perish but have eternal life. So these passages show us that kindness is God's beneficial provision that meets the necessary needs of men. Yeah, as we have seen in the, our, our definition earlier, God provides these necessary needs of sinful men. And it reflects God's tender concern for us and that how He has sought our highest good. He sought after our highest good. That includes the daily provision of the sun and the rain for the, the necessity of physical living. But more importantly, as these passages show us, provisions for our eternal salvation from sin and wickedness through God's kindness. But we have seen from these passages that God's kindness does not excuse men from their sin, but His kindness would stir our conscience convict us of our sin and lead us to repentance. So that's what God's kindness is designed to do. You see, Second Peter 3 verse 9, that Peter tells us, he said, The Lord is not slow concerning His promise as some regard slowness, but is patient toward you because He does not wish for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. God's desire for us is for us to repent. And it is for this reason that Nelson's new illustrated uh, Bible dictionary says that, he says that, as, as I quote here, that uh, in, it's in your notes again, the dictionary said, Kindness is not an apathetic response to sin, but a deliberate act to bring the sinner back to God. You see, kindness is one of those processes that God used, or God uses, to bring the sinner back to Him, like patience. But we know that the process of bringing a sinner back to God is not very nice. It's not a pleasant experience. It's not a very pleasant process sometimes, isn't it? Because why? Because people either do not generally respond well to rebuke and to be reminded of their sins. You tell them they are wrong, they don't like that, or that you know that it will always you know cause pain for someone before godly sorrows would come about to lead them to repentance. See, it's not a very nice and pleasant experience. And it is in this respect that kindness may not be nice, as I've said in the beginning, you know. Kindness may not be nice. We remember the story of the Good Samaritan, his act of kindness. Was he very nice towards his badly injured arch enemy? 
she was nice, yes, she was nice in the sense that he did something good for him. Yeah, you can say that was nice in that sense. But did, did, did his niceness exclude any further pain and discomfort to this injured man? No. Because that, first of all, we notice that he must cause the injured man great pain first, discomfort. Because why he had to lift him up from the ground after he bandaged him and then put him on, an, uh, on his animal, you know, a donkey perhaps, and then you know that he had to experience this terrible, painful journey you know, as the, as the animal, animal was moving, causing him great discomfort, isn't it? And pain. But all this were necessary for him to be out of that terrible situation lying on the road, in, uh, you know, in the open ground, before he could gain comfort in, a, in, in an inn where he could lie in a nice bed and receive proper treatment to recover from his injuries. So it is in this sense, you can see that the Samaritan's kindness to us, this, this Jewish man, was not always very nice. But it was necessary. Although painful and uncomfortable, it was necessary before he could enjoy the benefit of comfort and recovery. It is in this sense, brethren, that the process of agape kindness may not always be nice. Although that the outcome is always to seek the highest good of others. You see? And that's why that for this reason that the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that agape kindness is not just about being nice, but it's about the doing, the action, doing of something for the good of others which is needful, useful, and beneficial, even though we, we, we may not feel nice about it. You know, the really unpleasant process of biblical kindness is in the serving of one's highest good, especially when it comes to matters of sin and eternity. We know that sin will always stand in between the sinner and heaven. And hence, our kindness, just as God's kindness is, towards the sinner must always involve in telling him about his sins, even if it were to pain him, shame him. These are necessary so that he could seriously consider about repentance, that his soul may be saved. Well, this may cause him a, uh, some emotional distress, embarrassment, but when he repents of his sins and turns to God and brings forth fruit of repentance, the Bible tells us that heaven will rejoice and his soul safe in eternity. He is safe from his sin, not because we are nice to him, but because we are kind to him, as God is kind to us in helping him turn around. So we have seen, you see, that the New Testament described kindness as an act defined by its usefulness, its, fit, uh, its fitness for purpose, for the highest good of others. The Bible does not define kindness as the process of being nice or, or sweet. Nice or sweet or not is not the point, isn't it? Then this is how the Bible defines kindness, and this is how God looks at you know, uh, kindness. It is independent of how people respond to us as well. So we have seen, you see, that how the outcome of kindness is always good. Although the process may not be always nice, but the outcome is always good. And this is how we have seen that God's kindness is. Yes, God's kindness sometimes causes shame and embarrassment, not very nice, but God has always designed it to save us from our sins. And that is the ultimate highest good that anyone could benefit from kindness. John MacArthur writes that kindness, as is in your notes again, I quote that he says, connotes genu genuine goodness and generosity of heart, 
Our salvation from sin and lostness and death issued wholly from God's kindness. His loving, benevolent, and entirely gracious concern to draw us to Himself and redeem us from our sin forever. Unquote. Kindness reflects benevolence in action. Kindness is just not a sweet disposition, but is a character of service to others. The patience that withhold the power to retaliate against provocation by others, but also warns them of their sins and call them for their immediate repentance before God that will save the sinner from death is always an act of kindness. Even, even, brethren, even if the sinner refuses to take heed and repent, it is still an act of kindness. And James tells us in James 5, 19-20, as I am I'm about to end here, he said that, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. This is the greatest act of kindness, which is one of the characteristics of agape love, that we turn somebody away from their sin and cover a multitude of sin. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, Unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. Well, this warning and call to the, to the sinner to repent is necessary. And it will always serve his highest good and best interest, even if, uh, you know, even if it has not been well received. Why? Because the reason for us to call him to repent is, you know, is to enlighten him of his wickedness and his sin. And you know, so that he could be granted the immediate opportunity to, re to repent. If he doesn't do that, it's, then that is his problem. It's not ours. But we do know that when we, when we tell him of his sin and call him to repentance, we are acting kindly towards him. It may not be very nice, but that is kindness as defined by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Kindness that flows from patience and agape love that seeks the highest good of the sinner, regardless of how he responds. I hope that you have been encouraged by the, by the lesson. I hope that we have, we, we have all uh, been enlightened as to what kindness is. Brethren, let us apply true biblical kindness in the way that God has designed. You know, and not tiptoe and walk on eggshells when it comes to the, the really necessary aspects of, of life that, you know, when it comes to sin and salvation. Let's be kind in the way we, we deal with others. That is by telling them the truth with the motive of agape love which is to seek his highest good. How he's going to respond is all down to him, but at least that we know that we act out of love. If he refuses to change, he will have no excuse before God. If he were to die, we got repentance. But at least we can stand with conscience clear before God that we have been loving in the biblical sense, patient in the biblical sense, and kind in the biblical sense for his glory. Thank you.